Well, wait, welcome to Faith Promise this weekend. Whether you are here at our Pellissippi campus or you are at our Blunt, our Anderson, North Knox, or our Campbell County campus, or even worshiping online, we're so glad that you have chosen to be with us this weekend. Uh, Pastor is away. I'd like to ask for you to pray for he and the team there in Israel, shooting our Easter uh, services, I think, and also working on some other things there. Um, and so they're away this weekend. And Pastor came to me a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, what are you doing February 21st through the 23rd? And I said, well, there's this little thing called Fusion Weekend. And uh, he said, good, I need you to preach that weekend. And I said, are there any other options? I guess I'll do it. And then, so I'm, I'm here and I'm preaching this weekend and I'm so honored to be here. Pastor asked me if I would, would preach this weekend on leaving a legacy. The concept of investing a legacy in the next generation and what better weekend to do that than when we have over 600 students gathered this weekend studying the Word of God, engaging in worship, and seeing their lives transformed by the power of Christ. Amen. What greater weekend for us as adults to gather and to say, how can we invest in that next generation and see life transformation happen in it. And so we're going to do that. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This is a familiar passage for uh, many of you. You've read it before, but I want us to look at it with a little bit different lens tonight. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. And so often when we read this passage of Scripture, here's what we focus on. We focus on us being the runner. We focus on laying aside our sin, laying aside those things that hold us back, that keep us from running the race with power and speed and doing it in such a way that honors Christ. But I want us to look at this a little bit different, and I want us to look at the very beginning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, what does that mean? Well, Paul is saying that there is this, this cheering section that is surrounding us. There is this group of people, and if you go back and you read Hebrews chapter 11, he gives a laundry list of the heroes of the faith. Men and women who accomplished great things for God. Men and women who had extraordinary faith. And what Paul says is they're in heaven and they're looking down on us and they are believing in us and they are cheering us on. And because they are cheering us on, they are investing in us. We can run the race just like they ran the race. And for many of us, we'll be able to run the race even greater than they did because of the investment that they have made in the generations that followed them. And here's what I believe. That is the way, my friends, that faith was meant to be passed down. Faith wasn't meant to be passed down by some guy standing on stage teaching something. It was meant to be passed down from one generation, sharing their experience about God, sharing what he has done in their life and how he has moved in their life, sharing that with the next generation, passing it down, and so forth and so forth. We see this with, with Moses. If you go back and you read Exodus, you see that Moses led the people of God out of captivity in, in, in Egypt, correct? Moses was their leader. But Moses had a problem, and that is he couldn't lead millions of people by himself because they all kept coming to Moses. And they all kept saying, Moses, here's our problem. you got to fix it. And so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, does what every great father-in-law does. He steps in and offers advice. Amen. <laughs> And he says, Moses, you can't keep doing this. 
You need to go find some trustworthy young men. Some godly young men and invest your wisdom in there. And invest your experience with God in them and teach them to do what it is that you are doing. Let them stand on your shoulders to do ministry. And so Moses goes out and he recruits Joshua and he recruits other men and he trains them and he teaches them. And Joshua raises up and he takes Moses' place and does things even greater than Moses did. He actually brought God's people and established them as a nation. All because of what I call generational investment. What is generational investment? It's simply this. It's passing on your spiritual experience to the next generation. It's passing on what you have experienced with God to the next generation so that they can stand on your shoulders and accomplish more than you ever dreamed possible. To do more than you ever thought possible with your life. We see this throughout Scripture. You see it time and time again with Elijah and Elijah. You see it with Moses and Joshua. You see it with Paul and Timothy. You go on throughout the New Testament. It's there where one generation invests in the next generation. And they rise up and they accomplish more than the generation before them ever did. But here is the problem, right? We don't work well as generations, right? We don't work well. In fact, you want to see a big cat fight? Go take some older adults and put them in a room with a bunch of teenagers and their spark's going to fly really quickly, right? Because we don't like each other. We're different than each other. And the older adults begin to look at the teenagers and they go, oh, man, they're so disrespectful. They got their hats cocked sideways, pants sagging on the ground, and, you know, they're rebellious and God can't use them, man, blah, blah, blah. And you go on and you complain about them. They don't do things the way we do it. They listen to their music way too loud. And what do you do? You write them off. It's the same thing we do when we go into restaurants and that waitress or waiter comes up to our table. We just see them as a servant and we write them off. We don't see them as a person with a soul that God created and that God has a plan and purpose for. We do the same thing with the next generation. They're different than us and we write them off. The young, younger generation looks at the older generation. They don't get it. They don't understand. They're weird. They wear high waters, right? If it rained, they wouldn't get their pants wet because they're all the way under their armpits. And they always say how we don't do things right. They're always harping on me and telling me what I should do differently. And, man, I, I just don't want to be around them. And we dismiss them and we miss what God could do if we come together and allow him to use us together to accomplish greatness. Amen. It's investing in the next generation. It's investing in them regardless of our differences, regardless of how we see things. I want to ask you if you are under the age of 25 to stand up. If you're under the age of 25, stand up. Go ahead. I'm not going to bring you on stage, I promise. Give these guys a hand. But here's the deal. Here's what is at stake. This is what's at stake. These guys. Because if we don't invest in the next generation, if we don't invest in these guys, this gal will sling in like a wrecking ball and take every opportunity to tell her everything the world wants to tell them. She'll be more than happy to fly into their life, listen, and feed their head full of worldly wisdom and what the world says is right and what the world says you should pursue. And listen, these guys don't need any more washed up, has-been celebrities full of vainglory who don't understand what is true and don't understand what is right, pumping their heads full of what life is about. 
What they need is the community of God to rise up around them and to begin to invest themselves in them so they'll know what is true, they'll know what is right, and they'll be able to stand on your shoulders and accomplish more than you ever dreamed possible. You guys can have a seat. The question becomes, how do we overcome the generational tension that exists? How do we overcome it? How do we get to a place that we can invest in the next generation? And here's what I believe. I believe we can overcome generational tension. We can overcome it. But it's going to require two specific responses. A response from the older generation towards the younger generation. And a response from the younger generation towards the older generation. And some of you are going, which one am I in? If you ask the question, you're in the older generation. All right? (laughs) It's going to help you there. So let's look at it. Let's unpack this. What are those responses? What do they look like? The first response is for the older generation. This is your response. If you want to overcome the generational uh, tension that exists and invest in this next generation to cheer them on and to build into them, listen, you've got to begin to believe in them. Instead of writing them off, you've got to begin to believe in them, to believe that God has created them and that he has a purpose and he has a plan for them and he wants to do something in them even though they look different and they act different and they like things differently than you do. No one is going to care what kind of music you like in 50 years. They'll only care about the investment you made in their life. It's time for us to rise up and to invest, to believe in them, to believe in what God has called them to do. They are not the church of tomorrow, my friends. They are the church of today. They are the church today, and we have to get that in our heads and begin to invest in them so that they can accomplish what God has called them to do. And I know what you're saying, but Matt, listen, they're different than me. Get over it. Get over it. They're different than you. Who cares how they wear their hat? Who cares where their pants are? Who cares, you know, the music, that how loud it may be? Get over your differences. And some others are going, but Matt, wait, 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 I don't know what I would say. I don't even know what I'd begin to say. If I sat down next to one of them, I'm old and I have the high water pants and I don't even, you know, I don't even know what I would say to them. They don't want the right answers. In fact, they're not even looking for somebody to be cool. They just want someone to sit with them and be real. They want someone who won't sit in front of them and pretend that they have all the answers. They want someone who will sit with them and be raw and be real and talk about their walk with Christ and talk about their struggles and let them in on what life truly looks like so they recognize that they're not all alone, that they're not weird. Just want someone to come alongside them, to engage in their life, to be part of their life. They're craving for that. And all of us, if we've lived long enough, can point back in our life to one person who did that for us, right? One person who walked into our life, who didn't look at our differences, who didn't look at our shortcomings and our failures, who just simply said, I believe in you and came alongside of you. Mine was Eddie McBroom. He's a 20-year-old college student preparing to go into ministry. He looked at me and took a chance on me. He said, I see potential in this guy. And he brought me in and let me live in his home. And he gave me a job. And I worked for, I think it was 360 bucks a month after taxes. And I worked like 60 hours a week. Like there was no protection for me from being abused by working, right? I worked for peanuts for this man. But he invested so much wisdom in my life. 
This was the man when he asked me to speak and I stood up on stage in front of a bunch of students and began to try to be catchy and flashy and try to gain the students' attention and get them to like me and told the story of Balaam and his donkey, right? And his donkey talking to them began to talk about how when your, your butt starts talking, you better start listening. I didn't use the word butt. I used something that rhymes with grass, right? Because I thought it would be catchy and, you know, the King James did it. And, uh, you know, and, and instead of writing me off and saying he's done, he picked me up and said, don't ever do that again or I'll punch you in the face. <laughs> and he gave me another shot and he put me right back out on the stage again. And time after time when I blew it, he didn't write me off. He believed in me and he cheered me on and he invested in me. And what this generation is looking for is adults who will do the same for them. Men and women who will come alongside them and not look at their failures, not look at where they've blown it, but walk with them through their life. And some of you are saying, I don't know if I can do that. I'm too old. I don't have anything to offer this generation. Let me tell you something. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. Amen? If you're still breathing and that heart's still pumping, God still has a plan for your life. And his plan is for you to invest what you have in the next generation. So your greatest strength is your age. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't back down from that. When someone says, how old are you? You say, I'm 57 years old and I'm proud of it. Because every day was a day I lived and I learned and I gained experience and I can pass that experience to the next generation. If you're not dead, God is not done with you. Across all of our campuses, we have student ministries and children's ministries that are dying for volunteers to step in. To step in and, and be a spiritual mom and dad to young boys and girls or to teenagers. They're not looking for the right answers. We'll train you on what to say. We'll help you do it. We just need adults who'll step in and fill in the gap. I got college kids beating my door down wanting to be small group leaders. And I say, you don't have enough life in you. I need adults. I need mom and dads who faced heartache, who faced pain, who have dealt with life and can come in and sit beside these teenagers and speak God's truth into their life. And we'll partner them up with a young teenager who's cool and hip and can be that person in those students' lives. But we need your wisdom. For some of you, God's calling you this weekend to step in and be a small group leader in one of our student ministries. You can email our student ministry staff. You can contact your student pastor at your campus, whichever campus you may be at. You can contact Gina to get involved in our kids ministry or one of our uh, kids ministry uh, uh, staff people at any of our campuses to get plugged in. But here's my prayer for you, older generation. It's that Psalm 7118. We become your daily cry of your heart. And it says, so even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. But the psalmist is saying this, God, even when I'm old and my hair has turned gray and they're changing my depends and I'm eating prunes, right? And I'm old and everybody thinks I don't have anything to offer. God, give me as many days so that I have another day to proclaim what you've done in my life, to proclaim my relationship with you and your power to another generation. Adults, it should be the cry of our heart. God, daily. Let me proclaim your power to this next generation. Let me invest myself in this next generation. Now I want to talk to the younger generation. What is your response? 
We've dealt with the adults. You should believe in the next generation. You should believe in them. Cheer them on. Invest in them. Spend your life building in them. Younger generation, what is your response? This is it and don't miss it. Honor the previous generation. Choose to honor them. Several years ago, there was a survey that was done. They took 15 younger generation people, young adults through students. They took 15 older adults and they asked them a simple question. Use one word that starts with E to describe the younger generation. The younger generation said, the majority of the answers were this, exceptional. Although half the answers were misspelled because there was no autocorrect on spelling on the paper forms they filled out. The adult generation said this, entitled. And let me tell you, as someone who sits on, I could fall in between one of those two categories. Let me tell you, this generation is an entitled generation. But look up here, younger generation. It's not your fault you were raised that way. You were raised that way. In fact, when we brought my little girl home from the hospital, she was in a car seat, listen, that had more straps and safety precautions in it than I've ever seen in my entire life. She had eight harnesses to harness her in. She had, you know, big poofy things around her head so her head didn't move. She was packed like a mummy, right? She wasn't going, you could have dropped an atomic bomb on that car seat and she would have survived, right? I mean, this is a generation, listen, this is a generation that just to ride your bicycle, you had to have training wheels and elbow pads, and knee pads, and a helmet, and a mouth guard, right? Because God forbid you fell off and skint your knee, right? When I was growing up, if you fell off and skint your knee, you rubbed some dirt in it and kept going, right? <laughs> this one, you'd have, you couldn't ride your bike for months. You can't help it. You were raised that way for crying out loud. You got a trophy just for showing up with a uniform on. <laughs> you didn't even have to do anything. You just showed up and we gave you a trophy. No wonder you think you're the greatest generation that's ever walked the earth. We've told you that for the past 15 years. Look up here. There is greatness within you. There is greatness within your generation. God is going to rise up and do something phenomenal that will blow this world away through this generation. The road to greatness doesn't happen overnight. And the road to greatness is honor. The road to greatness is to honor those who have come before you, to honor them. And here's the deal. Because we are entitled, we don't show honor well, right? We look at the generation and we think, man, they don't know what's going on. They don't don't know what it's like to be in my life. And we turn a deaf ear to them, right? To honor means to hold in high esteem, means to value, to consider as worthy. And if we're going to see greatness within this generation, we've got to start treating the generation ahead of us with honor. Treating them as valuable, as worthy, instead of just turning a deaf ear to them, turning a blind ear to them because they look differently than we do and they say the things that we don't want to hear at times. We've all been guilty of this. When I was a teenager, I worked at Walmart. I started as a cart pusher. It was a horrible job in South Alabama on black asphalt. It was the worst job I've ever had in my whole life. But then I moved inside. 
And I worked in the toy department, and we had the swing sets, and they were in these huge 150-pound boxes. And they kept them on top of these 20-foot storage bins in the, back of our, um, in the back of our store. And the only way to get those down was for someone to come with a forklift and put a pallet on the forklift and then put you on that, on that pallet and raise you up in the air. And now, they put this little belt around you, and you had a little chain, right? And you're supposed to attach that to the forklift so if you fall, you kind of hang like a pinata, you know, over the forklift as it's going up, Right? And then once you get up top, you're supposed to take that and unhook it and step onto the, uh, the storage unit and then hook that onto another line that runs in the back and begin to move the things around and place the swing set that you need onto the forklift. And I'd heard time and time and time again from every man in that store over the age of 20, Grimes, fasten yourself in to the safety line. Do you think I ever did it? No. Because I was young and I knew what was right. I knew that, man, y'all are just wasting my time. I can do this faster. If you just forget all that hogwash. All of us under the age of 20, man, we were just flying up there, grabbing them, throwing them on. I was on there one day and I picked up one of those swing sets and began to turn around to put it on that forklift. And as I did, the end fell off. And then it hit the other storage unit and knocked me back off. And I fell 20 feet onto the ground. Shattered my elbow, broke my wrist in half. And on the way down, the only thought I had was this. I wish I had strapped into the safety line. <laughs> right? I wish I had listened to all those men that were so much wiser than me and strapped into the safety line. I didn't know what was best. And listen, younger generation, don't crash and burn because you refuse to listen to the wisdom of the generation that is ahead of you. And you're going, they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't know what life is like for me. They don't know what my struggles are. Listen, they get far more than you will ever imagine. There are men and women in the generation before you who have held the hand of their dying child. The men and women in the generation ahead of you, many of them have more life in their pinky than you have in your entire life. And we can learn so much if we would humble ourselves under them and learn from them. Seek truth from them. Seek their wisdom. Seek their experience. You can learn greatness from the generation ahead of you if you'd simply stop and listen. Let go of your pride. Let go of your entitlement and learn. I love Mark chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. It's an interesting situation Jesus is frustrated. I love the times in Scripture where Jesus is frustrated because it shows the, the human side of him. But Jesus is frustrated in this situation. In fact, he is in his hometown and he has performed just a few miracles, uh, not real major miracles, just small uh, healings within his hometown. And it says that Jesus is frustrated because he's not been able to, to heal more. In fact, this is where we see Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law, right? And some scholars, although it can't be, you know, proven, it's widely debated, some scholars actually believe this is why Peter denied Jesus three times later in his life, right? For healing his mother-in-law, right? <laughs> I'm just joking right there. This is where Jesus heals his mother-in-law. And Jesus is angry, not angry, but frustrated because, man, he's not been able to do more. And listen to what he says in verses 4 through 5. And Jesus said to them, 
A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And Jesus could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. In this situation, Jesus' power, I don't understand it. I'm not going to try to unpack it theologically. But Jesus said he was limited in what he could do because the people didn't have honor for him. Young generation, look up here. Look up here and don't miss this. So many of you are missing what God is wanting to do in your generation. And God is not moving in your generation because you do not honor the generation ahead of you. And it is impossible for you to honor God and dishonor your parents. It is impossible for you to honor God and dishonor those who are ahead of you and the generation ahead of you. Because God calls us and commands us to honor those who have walked before us, to learn from them. Your response young generation, should be to honor the generation that has preceded you. To hold them in a high regard, to value them, to respect them, to learn from them, to recognize they are different than you. But they have so much wisdom and can make your life so much better if you'd simply humble yourself and listen to them. Here's what's cool, young generation. This is your greatest strength. You are the most cause-minded generation to ever walk the face of this earth. You are the most mission-minded generation that has ever walked. You don't just look at problems and, and struggles and say, oh, I wish someone would do something about that. You go and do something about it. You find a way and you don't take no for an answer. Do you know that within this generation, just two years ago, in our teenagers, one young adult man raised up and made a video that caught on and saw a corrupt dictator in Africa overthrown and saw thousands of young African children set free out of captivity and slavery and forced to fight within his army. Teenagers did that. Teenagers. While their moms and dads were busy running around fighting for a bigger house and more money. They weren't worried about it. They saw an injustice and went after it and tried to do something about it. All around the world, because of teenagers today, there are women who are being set free from sex trafficking because you've caught on and it's stirred in your heart and God has wired you with a heart and a passion for injustice in this world. You are the most cause-minded, mission-minded generation that has ever walked the face of this earth. This weekend, infusion, unbelievable what happened. One of our small group leaders at our Blunt campus had to step out of ministry because her car stopped working. She couldn't make it there on Wednesday night. She didn't have enough money to fix this. The small groups were asked. She's not been able to serve for several weeks at our Blunt campus because of it. Their small groups were asked to do a service project. Without prompting, without provocation, those young girls said, this is our service project. We're going to raise money for our small group leader to fix her car. And those teenage girls raised over $1,500 for their small group leader. And today, during their service project, 
they drove to their small group leader's home who's not been able to be a part of their small group for several weeks and handed her an envelope full of $1,500 to fix her car. The greatest generation for missions and taking action that has ever walked the face of this earth. Now I want everyone to look up here and see this. Look up here. What would happen if their passion got linked up with the older generation's wisdom and experience and became fueled by that. You know what would happen? They'd overtake the world. God would do something that we never dreamed possible. The sky would be the limit. There's nothing that could stop what God could do in that if we would simply learn to respond in the right way to the generation ahead of us or behind of us and begin to work together to see generational investment happen. So this weekend, the choice is yours. I'm going to ask for some commitments now. I'm going to ask if there are some adults this weekend at Faith Promise who say, I'm ready to begin to respond to the younger generation by saying, I believe in you. And I'm going to begin to invest in you. I'm going to begin to invest in the younger generation around me, whether that's my kids, my grandkids, the people in my neighborhood. I may, I may sign up to serve in a small group and begin to invest in them. But here, this weekend, I'm standing up and I'm saying, I'm going to cross the line and I'm going to commit to invest everything I have in the next generation, that God would give me as many days possible to pour everything I have in the next generation. If that's you, just stand up across the room right now. Just stand up saying you're committing to God this weekend that you're going to invest in the next generation. Let me speak to the young adults. Are there any young adults in the house this weekend that would say, I'm going to walk in humility. I'm ready to say, hey, I want to see God do something amazing through me. I don't want to settle for what I think is good, but I want God to rise up and do something amazing in me. And this weekend, I say this, I'm going to honor those ahead of me. I'm going to honor my parents. I'm going to honor the men and women who've walked before me. If that's you, stand up. Just stand up and commit to that this weekend. By standing, you're saying, I'm committing to this. God, across this room this weekend, across all of our campuses, for the men and women who are standing, for the young men and women who are standing, God, would we see something miraculous happen? Would we see something that even the Bible can't compare to what you do in this generation through the men and women at Faith Promise who say no longer will we stand by and watch culture and the world teach the younger generation what is important. We are going to invest what we know in them. And God, for these younger generation people who are standing, these young men and women, God, would you give them the humility to walk in such a way that they seek the truth and the wisdom and the experience of those who've walked before them. And God, would you raise this generation up to do something that would blow our minds and rock this world for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.